0: Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson.
1: I'm Brian Siegler, buddy. We're back here on a Tuesday night. We're we're moving past the bitch that was last Friday, and we're going to put it to bed tonight, and then we're going to move on to Boston College.
0: Well, we're going to go in here. We're going to make some corrections. We're going to close the book. Um, Other than the game Friday night, it was a good time. I mean, right? You came over. Kids came over. Kids frolicked. We had drinks. Great food. Oh, yeah. At the Wilson Man Cave here.
1: Had some Genos. Had some, uh, some G&Ts. Had, had a little, uh, little this, a little that.
0: A little this, a little that. And then the game came on. And and then so let's cool. just get right to it. You know, Hokie start 0-1 in the print regime era or the loss of 20-17. to 17 And... A lot of anger on this game. We felt it Friday night. Brian, the game ended about what ten thirty-five ish. You stayed around my house for another hour as we vented. Yeah, it definitely would have been a good reaction podcast, but I don't think us venting in a lot of a uh, little bit of inebriation and a little bit of cursing going on there.
1: We've done that before. Um, we have, but. uh this is a little different. So, I mean, we've done podcasts where I'm sitting in uh, my boxer shorts on the deck in Gatlinburg, podcasting live after a, after a game. So, um, you know, we, we could have pulled the trigger there, but I think this new format is going to work better for us. Digest things. I get to look at the tape again, um, and we get to kind of put put to bed what was a a bitter taste, I think, for week one. Um, you know, a lot of anger, you know, regardless of, of, of the situation. I feel like that's one you can't lose. No, not just because of the opponent, but also because when you look at your schedule, you know, you hate dropping one of those games that is very winnable. You know, we're not, we're not going to say it's a, you know, an easy schedule. There's no easy, easy games out there. You still nope. got to line up and play and that. We proved that on Friday night, you still got to go out there and execute you still got to go out there and play the game the way it needs to be played. And there were a bunch of par- bunch of parts of that game where we didn't play it the way it needed to be played.
0: No, not at all. And let's start with the biggest part, and probably the biggest swinger of that game was on special teams. And literally maybe the ugliest effing long snap of all time that literally went – it felt like it went 35 yards and it leads to that ODU score. I mean – It got snapped to Suffolk. To Suffolk from – from Norfolk. Yeah. That's <laughs> impressive. And, and 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 that kind of proved to be the 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 one of the stories that ODU needed us to screw up the score and it started there, you know. They it was 7-3 right there. They get that, they go 7-10. And it just it was one of those anytime there is a anytime you're the favorite, anytime you're considered the better team, there are plays like that that happen. And as soon as it happens, it's like, eh, that's a confidence grower for them. They took the lead. And, you know, special teams just all night, besides that, obviously, I mean, a 54-yard loss in the net rushing, don't let the rushing stats fool you. We did run the ball pretty well. But overall, take that into account, a bunch of holding, blocking the backs for 30-plus yards. That really, really hurt some good returns by Keyshawn King. And a really good punt return by DJ Harvey. So on the DJ Harvey, it was he was past the forty, and we yeah. started behind the fifteen. And it's like we blew our feet off in that element of the game.
1: Yeah, it was almost a thirty-yard penalty um, on the on the Harvey punt return. Yes, you had, you had a good solid return, and then you know you have to back up ten from the spot. So that hurt. Those other penalties hurt, and penalties was really the biggest part of this game other than that big play in the snap and and a couple interceptions by grant wells but let's go ahead and pivot to the offense and wells um you know finish the game with four picks uh when you look at the tape i mean not all on him i'd say um take the hill mary out take the, take take Hail mary the out. T- take the hill mary out um you you know you don't know Who's to blame on that first one? There was definitely some miscommunication between what Wells thought, yep. uh, Smith and or Gallo were going to do and what they actually did. Um, but the, the other thing is the pro- the problem here is that there were two, two bad. that were critical and bad. One, yeah. One, uh, you got press man on an out route. You shouldn't throw it. And if you're going to throw it, you definitely can't throw it inside. Nope. Uh, that got picked off. That's essentially three off the board. There, you're in field goal range. Yep. Uh, and as long as you don't punt it into Suffolk or snap it into Suffolk, you probably get the get the three there. Three there. Uh, and then the other one. Uh, you know, me and Curtis were talking about it when we were watching it in real time, and then when I watched it again, I kind of saw the same thing. That's that's a ball you just got to either throw in the dirt, or if you're going to take a risk there, Damn. take a take a calculated risk down the field. Where you're either burying them deep or you get the first down. There's no, there's no sense in throwing a three-yard completion with a linebacker bearing down on your running back. Nope. And even then, probably throw was had a little too much juice on it. Um, could Holston have done better and brought it in? Maybe, but
0: maybe, but that it shouldn't have been it.
1: thrown. It shouldn't have been thrown. That's a whole. And, thing. If, and if you're gonna throw, if, even if you're gonna throw that, you got to throw it sooner before the linebackers on your running back.
0: It's a, it's, a, it's one of those mental things where it's like you either eat it and throw it at Jalen Holston's feet, live another down, allow Peter Moore to punt it and make them go hopefully 95 yards for a game-winning touchdown. But to your point, it, it, it's that, okay, you've got to know down-distance situation. It was third down. It was, it was more than 10. And you're throwing it three yards. Go downfield. You hit somebody downfield. The way they were throwing flags, it could have been a phantom P.I. call and essentially ends the game right there. And and and, and those are the – those two mistakes, which they were critical errors because if you punt the ball – again, they went 60 yards on their last drive. They did yep. not have to drive extra. One of their field goals off of um, one of the turnovers that was like, okay – like you, you, you're you setting them up. One of their other, one of the other, one of the first turnover, they got it in midfield. They didn't move the ball, but they got us pinned deep again. So all the turnovers were just in critical areas of the field, which you can say, well, there's a critical error everywhere in the field. But the reality is for us, it was they pinned us deep. Then short field for them, we took points off the board. It wasn't like it was one of those picks where it's like, this hurt nothing. Yeah. He threw a pick to the 15 yard line from the from there, 45. Okay, it's a deep pump. Well, I think
1: by, by the time we got to the middle of the second quarter, just before the first pick, I think we kind of at that point knew, all right, this is probably going to be a game where points are at a premium as we're yes. moving along. Uh, and the problem that we had is that we left points Lots of all points. over the field. I said it, uh, I think I tweeted it. Uh, the grounds crew for ODU is gonna still be picking up the points we <laughs> left on the field by the time we we recorded this, and That's they true. probably are. Yeah. Um, between you know the the Lofton uh, catch down at the three yard line to set up at first and goal that was uh, no offset by the OPI, which uh, and and you can, it it was a valid OPI. The problem is it had zero impact on on the route. So not, not that it shouldn't have been flagged, but it's just completely unnecessary both on our part and, you know, everything else. So, um, you know, that, that one hurts because that's a, that's a play where it's a first down, whether he he commits the penalty or not. Um, And then right after that, you know, you, you miss on the, on the retrial on third down. And now all of a sudden you're, you know, again, snapping the ball in the Suffolk. Um, yeah. We got to, got to clean up the mistakes. The mistakes were the, the biggest part of the the game it impacted the game the most procedurally. Um, I've never seen that many procedural penalties, um, uh, in a game. I'll I, I say that until I watched, uh, Rutgers, BC. There was a fuck ton of them in that game, too.
0: <laughs> I, I want to
1: say, I want to say Rutgers was at like eight penalties in the first half. That's eight or, eight or nine penalties in the first half.
0: All right. Well, let me ask this: just from reviewing the tape, being at a collegiate level, is that something that can be cleaned up? And I'm not saying I'm expecting us to go from 115 yards of penalties, um, you know, close to on the offensive side of the ball, almost 50 yards in procedural pen or 30, 30 yards in procedural penalties. Is that something to being cleaned up in one week or is that a slow go? Uh,
1: I think there's some that can be cleaned up pretty quickly. I think the the PIs are probably going to be the hardest thing to clean up. Um, I, I'm talking about the defensive ones. Um, when you look at the blocks in the back, I mean that—that's you watch film, you coach it. There, sh- there—that should be an easy fix. When you talk about the offsides, um, that should be an easy fix. I don't know about the whole Dax calling the snap count thing because it was a silent count. So how do you call that? But that's neither here nor there. But, you know, things like that, I think, can be cleaned up. So if you, if you ask me, like, yes, yeah, 75% of that can be cleared up pretty quickly. Okay. Okay. The other 25%
0: is going to take some time. Okay. Yeah. Let's hope the 75 is really quick. All right, let's talk about offensively, kind of some bright spots. Let's talk about Keyshawn King because that kid blew up over 100 yards, looked great on the, on the, excuse me, the kick return, looked good in pass pro. Uh, shout out Eric Carr out there today putting that showing. Did you see the block? Did he got oh, into yeah. a gift? He absolutely destroyed that linebacker coming on a gift. And yeah. I think – it, it. and we'll talk about the, the depth chart later. But I'm going to go ahead and bring it up now. He's one on the depth chart. And when Malachi Thomas comes back from his injury, he should be 1D. And I'm not showing any disrespect to Jalen Holston. The guy obviously is a team player. He does all the right things. But when we looked Friday night, Keyshawn King broke a big 30 yarder, had over 100 yards. Chance Black came in and broke a 20 yarder. Yep. And Jalen unfortunately only had about 16 yards on four carries. And I know he was banged up. I know he was banged up. But it's one of those things where you get to a point. It's you love a guy doing everything right in practice, but if you put him in the game and it just it doesn't click, you I think this is a coaching staff that will reward that. And, we, we kind of already saw it when, you know, Black got more carries and King really blew up.
1: Yeah, I mean, kudos to King for uh, really sticking with it um, yes. during the times uh, I know he – I'm sure it, there were times in the last two seasons where he was extremely frustrated with his role in this offense. And seeing him getting his opportunity and taking the most of it, um, that that's big. Um, so kudos to him. Um, Liked what he was doing. Um, uh, there are areas of, of like maybe, you know, here or there where he was he needed a little bit more vision or a little bit more patience, but I, I can't fault the kid. He he ran hard, he ran well, he was he did good once he got to the second level, making guys miss and kind of finishing the run. And as you said with Holston, I mean I get he's banged up and and that's definitely, you know, not practicing all week hurts, uh, especially yep. for week one. Um, but that being said, Holson's a guy that's been in this offense a lot and has had opportunities. At some point, unless we see something significantly different happen this week, you know, I feel like he's a guy that can, that has more of a minimal role for us going forward than, than a guy that's going to be kind of the bell cow. Um so that's just where I'm at right now now at this point. We'll we'll see if uh you know if he turns in some more opportunities this week against
0: Boston College, where he's now number two on the depth chart. Number two on the depth chart now, yeah. So that's gonna be interesting to see because again, we had a great day running the ball, especially Keyshawn King. Um let's take a look at the tight end room. Nick Gallo. Obviously, you you said it since February, tight ends are gonna be featured a ton. Nick Gallows seven catches, forty nine yards. Double D in there as well, four catches, twenty four yards. So eleven catches combined. And I mean, I think you said it. And obviously, if, if these trends kind of hold up for the whole season, that room is going to have a lot of receptions, um, a fair amount of yards for both the one and two, um, for the one and two tight ends. And I know we saw. You, you, you pointed out to me a couple times, you saw some good blocks from them, but you also said it's something that they've still got to get better at.
1: Yeah, especially Gallo. I think Gallo is a guy that blocks really well out in space. Um, he needs a lot of work with his inline blocking. Um, and some of it's just understanding what his assignment is based on the alignment of the front um you know we saw a bunch of op- a bunch of times where he was just going after the wrong man chipping at the wrong area um sometimes just flat getting beat uh when, when he did have those kind of one-on-one opportunities with the defensive end he's got to get better at that um and hopefully you know with with some extra practice in the in the system at least he'll he'll get those opportunities to at least get the scheme and the block right because Sometimes just getting there is good enough. Um, letting a guy go completely unblocked because you did the wrong thing is never
0: a good thing. Yeah. So the whole thing, hope he can clean up. But, again, continuously, I think those are going to be mismatches. Um, I'm sure you're hoping they bring your boy on. We did not see him Friday night. But I think as the season goes, as Brent Price said his presser today, it's we're continuing – we have to continue to create the depth. Yeah, and I think you'll see more of
1: him once he understands the offense. You know, he's still – he's very much, you know, what, four or five weeks into this thing at this point. So, um, I think that's going to come with time. Uh, I think we saw, what, Harrison St. Germain for a couple plays. I think he was out there a couple plays. Um, (laughs) But, you know, he he had a spring. He, he, He probably has a little bit better grasp of the system. So if you're going to go into that that 40, that's probably why he was getting a, a snap here or there, um, especially since we didn't see Connor Blumberg very much until the uh, you know Hail Mary started coming out there.
0: True, true. Going to be interesting to see that. Now, speaking of Brumley, because when he ran those routes, that was out of the wide receiver um, position, and that room's hurting right now. Obviously, Caleb Smith got hurt during the game after having a big catch early, having 45 yards in the quarter that he played clearly he was going to be a big part of the game. You know, process today he's day-to-day. He is listed on the depth chart. I don't know if that's for show. We never got any information about what his injury was, so I want to see how that goes. But, you know, the Wayne Lofton had a couple good moments. Stephen Gosnell had a couple good moments. But that, that room overall is hurting. And if Caleb can't go for a couple weeks, um, really this week more than next week, I mean, that's going to hurt that room and where you're probably going to have to see Connor Blomberg.
1: Yeah, and the question is going to be is, you know, if if you don't want to rush Caleb back, but at the same time, if, if he's good, you want him to go. Mm-hmm. If he's not good, you probably want to hold him off and maybe even hold him off against Wofford before you, um, you know, welcome the Mountaineers into town on Thursday night. So that's kind of where I'm at with him. I, I'm hoping that he's going to be good to go this week. I think getting more... Uh, game reps with Wells is going to be a good thing. Um, so I want him to get out there as much as he can, but obviously I don't want to rush a guy back that is has one of those soft tissue inju- injuries or, you know, something related to an ankle or something like that. Take the time you need, get right, because we're going to need you more in October than we need you in September.
0: That's very, very true. All right, let's flip out of that room. Let's look at the offensive line. And, sir, oh, I, wow. I'll give you what seeds grades for the offensive line, run, pass, and the cumulative. Uh,
1: For uh, rushing grade, I give it a C+. Uh, I, th- I saw some good things.
0: Oh, wait a second. We went over 200 yards, and your eyes say we're just slightly above average for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean –
1: the problem is is that there were problems across the board that kept rearing their ugly head throughout the game okay um I'll say a couple things so and I'm gonna get to this in a second uh but Parker Clements did not have a good game uh across the board um I thought Johnny Jordan could have been better in the run game um I would like to see him him play better in the run game. Um not not bad. Not a lot of negative plays, but not a lot of, I didn't see a lot of dominance out of him. He and he should have been able to to kind of wreck in there. So that was disappointing. Um, as far as pass pro, uh D minus, and I know you say, okay, we didn't give up, you know, sacks, but you know, there were there were moments where Wells was getting hit as he let go of the ball. I was saying the big play to Caleb. He got freaking clobbered. Yes, as he, he let did. the ball go and that you know that was a dime um you know but he got on the interception uh you know, he was getting he had pressure in his face coming from the right side uh the first interception uh you know and, and so he was getting pressured all night i'd like to see him maybe speaking of well step up and maybe try to take off a little bit more um as those um uh, extra pressures coming in uh but the tackles did not play very well in, in pass pro um so a d minus grade overall for them in, in pass pro um and cumulative grade i'm going to go d plus i could go to c minus d plus but i'm going to go d plus in this case the negative plays i saw were impactful um and i'm going to call out one person right off uh, again i've already sp- said his name i'm going to call out uh, park's doghouse
0: Sieg's doghouse is parker clements everybody Everybody. Yeah. 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 Uh,
1: Par- Parker's in the, in the doghouse this week. I need to see better play across the board from him next week. And he's shown he can do that. So that's why this was such a disappointing performance Uh, because he showed at times last year, he can be depended on at right tackle, you know, but he was, he had like four or five Oh, lay blocks. Uh, call them lookout blocks or, you know, a <laughs> guy runs past, you just turn around and yell, look out to the quarterback. Uh we had a few of those um just looked not as polished almost like he was thinking too much in the run game um and i i'm gonna i'm gonna give somebody else uh a little bit of a shout out, but I'm also gonna gonna say a few things about him Jesse Hansen didn't have an awful game, but Jesse Hansen is slow as shit with his pulls.
0: <laughs> That's not a good thing for a wisconsin based running attack. <laughs> That we're going to. He's got to get faster with those. Um, I don't think that's a – I think that might be an issue. I think he is what he is. I mean, but if he's more consistent in the straight ahead and then the pass pro, how much do you get out of um, young Moore? All right, Dwight Vick chiming in. Don't understand why they don't bring a defensive guy over for some offense. I think it's depth right now, Dwight because I think the, the guy I would look to to bring over would be like DJ Harvey and he's literally your your top nickel corner, your top run returner and he's your number 2 um corner behind Dorian Strong so if you put him over the offense and he takes getting and he gets banged up you're losing a guy at threefold I mean, so, it, so
1: you're you're saying in, in the 2000s, yeah, you had Macho and, and D. Hall playing both sides, but you had some dogs behind had, them too. You
0: were deep behind them. <laughs> were, we were deep behind them in those days. So, again, I, you know, if, if the depth is built next year, maybe we can do that, but I don't see that right now. But um, let's flip it over. Let's do talk about the defense for a few minutes since Dwight brought up moving a player over. I mean, the defense to me played very well all night. Under 250 total yards for ODU. The defense itself only gave up 13 points, which really impressive that you kind of see that. Um, now, are there some things we need to get home with? Yeah. We only have one sack. We were there a lot. We only came home once. I know that's a big something you were kind of watching, that we were one step short multiple times. We could have either been a sack or um, – or um, at least affecting Hayden throwing the ball.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah, I would like to see us get home at least two more times. Uh, and there was, like I said, a couple times we were there close. Um, you know, we still ended up, again, one sack. We had two forced fumbles, yeah. seven tackles for loss. We but the thing that was mind-numbing is that, you know, we, we still are missing those tackles in the backfield where God. you got to – Quarterback or running back dead to rights, and somehow they slip by you and get either a solid gain, scamper for a first down, something like that. We get, we got to stop those because th- those are the ones that extend those drives and end up, you know, costing you points. Um, you know, we had we had Blake Watson dead to rights in the backfield on that fourth down play, and he got as, out, and somehow he's, he scored it through.
0: That was yeah, that I, was I, tough I, one. That was that was tough to watch. That's something we've seen the last few years is just not cleaned up, and I hope we would see it better. Um, Now, I will say this, my lining on that, at least nothing – they may have broke out of the backfield, but nothing went for anymore. I think maybe four yards was the longest. Where it felt like the last three to four years, it had been – if they broke out of that, it was just a lot of air in front of them for 10, 15-yard gains. That's my feel on it. Um, now, the other one, you mentioned it a few minutes ago, were the penalties, three penalties on defense, and, well, four penalties, excuse me, counting the DAX, which we're still trying to figure out that rule. Um, but the other three were for 30 yards, all P.I. The biggest one, though, was the one that wasn't a P.I. And that was the ball. It was a key fourth and two. They go shot on the left side of the field. The the ball went ten yards overbound. As soon as we, it was thrown, you could see it hit the white mark on the outside of the ODU sideline. The white mark is essentially the box can co- the coaches can go into. Correct, and it's that yeah. white or they can't go into that. Yeah, it hit on the outside of that. You're me and you were well. Funny story. Me and Brian are screaming at the television. My wife walks in and be like, "The kids are asleep. I'm gonna close the door now." We got we got. <laughs> we're like, "Oh yeah, sorry, hon." We, we got a little rambunctious there. Eh, it's okay. It's it us. I mean, now, that was the and that 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 let them get downfield and get three points.
1: Yeah, and the the thing you hate about it is that, I mean, by the letter of the law, pi was committed, but the ball was not not a catchable ball, and and, and that's where, and, I, and the problem is, I feel like that that rule doesn't get applied. Very near often, enough. at all, near nowhere, enough. nowhere near enough. I mean, nowhere near d- You define catchable. Um, you know, these, these guys aren't Stretch Armstrong. They're not uh, out there, you know, with with, deta- with detachable limbs and all this other stuff making plays. Um. Well, yeah, okay. so I, I, it's it's frustrating, um, but you know, those are penalties that I feel like. If we didn't have all the other stuff, I'd it. live with those. Yeah, yeah. Because especially considering how much we were bringing pressure and things like that, and how much these guys were in kind of man or de facto man looks yeah. in the secondary, 100%. I'm okay. I'll be okay with that. You know, three or four PIs a game. I'm I'm not gonna be that angry with, uh, especially yeah. if it's ones where, you know are either questionable like the one we're talking about that was out of bounds or they stopped the sh- play that could have been even bigger. You know, yeah. I'd much rather take the P.I. than take a, a 50, 60-yard
0: game. Very true on that. Very true on that. A lot of other weird stuff, sort of aftermath. Obviously, the one everybody knew about in the middle of the game was the coaches getting stuck on the elevator from down the locker room up. Um, I've never heard of anything like that in my life. How does that happen it, a pretty new facility down there and it was Pearson and it was uh, Sean Quinn Sean Quinn they got caught in there along with some of the analysts because the first person you saw come back was Pearson obviously that was thing and then the Blumrick and the fan rushing the field incident um, which, he made an apology. And after today, it does not appear that he will face any sort of suspension. Um, it's really funny. You know who Andrew Friedman is here in Richmond, yep. right? Weather guy. He's a UVA grad. And he put this big tweet out like, I see nothing wrong with what he did. Like, guys running at the field, you don't know what's going on. Like, <laughs> they're taking their lives into their own hand, rushing the field, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't see anything egregious. He saw a guy running at him. He lowered his shoulder to – a little bit and, you know, yeah. Made contact, got fell down, is what it is. I don't, it's, it's not it something that we should be making more of a more. I mean, the apology is fine. I don't think it was necessarily necessary, but if you make the apology, that, that should be the only thing that we need to do. And then you just keep it moving.
0: Yeah. So, as bad as those two things were, the shittiest part was what happened during the game to our players' locker room. With some, they're saying between I've heard eight, I've heard 10, I've heard $20,000 in items stolen. And these, and when you, as soon as you hear that, these are our players and our coaches' personal belongings. You know, it is. It's probably guys' chains, it's probably guys' watches, their iPhones, whatever they carry with them. Yep. And ODU's wonderful security just lets guys dress up as janitors and just go on in there. If nothing else, they want to keep this series every game should be in Blacksburg because clearly. <laughs>
1: you know, I mean, people are talking about canceling the series over this, and I'm not with that, and I'll tell you one thing. one, The biggest reason why for me is that at this point it's a pride thing. Um, okay. If you cancel the series after losing back-to-back games in their house, it looks like you're running away from a fight. Okay. And I, I don't, I don't think we can pull that. Whether, whether it's it's something that Wit wants to entertain or not, I, I I wouldn't have it at this point because that that's the way I would perceive it. I would perceive like, okay, and, and that's the way a lot of people would say, Oh, you guys are ducking, playing in Norfolk now.
0: Oh yeah, it's true. It's true. Now if we go back and like seventy thousand dollars get stolen from the locker room, and you take the dummy I mean,
1: Yeah, if we go down there and and beat them by four touchdowns and and shit still gets stolen, okay, let's have a conversation then. But (laughs) you can't go down there and lose by three to a G5 team and then be like, yeah, I think we're going to cancel this series because there was theft.
0: (laughs) Can't do that. All right, all right. So there we go. Let's shut the book. Let's close it. ODU over. We start BC week this week. But before that, we obviously got some news, and obviously some of the bigger breaking news today, Brian, uh, from Virginia Tech. My son Kelly out of DW Daniel High School in Central South Carolina, just north of Clemson, a three-star cornerback commits to the Hokies. Um, I don't know if that was late in the day. I don't know if you got a chance to take a look at his tape yet.
1: I haven't had a chance to look at the tape. I have done a little bit of research on the kid. I mean – You know, I know Louisville was pressing hard for him. I think uh, Oklahoma had uh, given him an invite. He was supposed to be down there this weekend. He canceled that to commit to Virginia Tech. So that's a that's a big move. Um, You know, it's again, it's not a a player that necessarily blows your skirt up in terms of you know accolades and you know big four star, five star type player. But it's another solid player that we're adding, and I think it's the type of player that fits what Virginia tech is trying to do on defense.
0: Yep. And it's another player from that five hour radius, Northern part, just South of Charlotte there. So obviously he's in the radius that we're continuing to pummel pretty hard. Um, With the kid committing, it does take us We're around 39 in the overall rankings. Um, And I haven't looked at that a lot recently. Obviously the season gets kicked off. We're sort of focused in on this, Um, you know, few teams above us have more commits than we do, so there are a couple chances that we could potentially jump back up into that 35 range. I know that's kind of Brian's eye this year as long as we get to it, so it'll be interesting how that plays out. All right, Brian, let's go to some other news and notes from the world of college football, and let's start with the portal decision that came out just a couple weeks ago, basically saying that now there will be two windows for portal transfers. The first window will be 45 days, essentially, after the playoffs are announced. So roughly early December to mid-January. And then the other is going to be a 15-day period from May 1st to May 15th. This is effectively, if you look, there are some spring games that are on the 27th, 28th, sometimes even the 30th. This is roughly the after-spring ball period. What do you like? What don't you like?
1: Uh, what I like is the forty-five days after the playoffs. Um, it gives you enough time for players to evaluate their circumstances, evaluate what's what's out there, decide that the portal's for them, put themselves out there. Um, it also, once you know you're you're wrapping up that period, it still gives you some time as a coach to look at what's left. And kind of filling some holes that the that the portal created, whether you're grabbing guys from the portal, whether you're you know closing out a class um, before the second signing day there. So I th- I like that aspect of it. Um, I wish that the May period was maybe a little bit longer, full month. It at it least another year. week. Yeah, I mean okay. I'd, I'd say go at least twenty five days is okay. what I would go there. Um, but I, I'd be okay with the full month. So that's a little short to me, but I feel like it's probably enough time. But I, I would have rather had maybe, like I said, at least another week or so um, to to kind of really flesh that out. But uh, this is a lot better than what we're dealing with now, It allows <laughs> coaches to wow, 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 plan their awesome. roster building a lot a lot better. Um, you know, and and now you got a situation where you know guys, you know, once they make the decision in May
0: you're in yeah, they're they're buckling up for the the upcoming season. You're buckling up, you're trying to get yourself on the field with tape before potentially announcing in December. Um again, we have been mentioning that it needs to be some control to this. It it you, you you know, it's it's good the players have this ability to transfer essentially when they want to or wherever they want to. But now the win is the big part because what you don't want is obviously you think about when roughly that first period ends, it's going to probably be right after the national championship, three weeks before national signing day. So your point already—if you like a kid and maybe someone, maybe one of the underclassmen leaves the room, you can take your spot there. But also think about the implication when it comes to the winter workouts. About yep. there, there—you've got those staffs putting an enormous amount of time, and I know a lot of that's team but it's how they start individually, start focusing on kids, right? At that point in time, if you've got five kids who don't want to be there, then they can essentially be gone and obviously more time for the other kids. I like the other piece and you mentioned, and we talked about it this afternoon, we chatted. You now have coaches once May 16th hit, this is our roster. Where are our deficiencies? Where are our strengths? We're not waiting on potentially some guy in July to commit to us. This is our team. So as far as strategic planning goes, lots easier. Also, think about those summer camp, those camps we've talked about, and kids going to be coming in the next cycle. You know what your team's looking like. Can people leave the next year? Yeah, but the whole thing is, this is what we look like right now. Where are we going to need help? So it, it, it's it's really helpful for not only the Hokies but all schools strategically to decide how they want to recruit and how the game plans are going to look come and fall.
1: Yeah. It is, I think it's going to help the portal players too, because I think with having the window guys won't be kind of lost in the, in the sauce. Right. I think a lot of yeah. guys put their names out there, not in those times of year where everyone's focused on there. So if you're not a big name with your name out there in the portal, sometimes that's going to get lost. Um but now you got everybody putting their names in within these certain periods. It's a lot easier to have a guy that okay, well, I saw his name at the portal. Let's let's see what he's about. Let's let's get some tape on him. Let's see how he practiced. Let's see if he yeah. got any games last year.
0: Absolutely. So good thing overall for the sport. Good thing overall for everybody. But then there was something better that is, in our opinions, better overall for the sport long term, and that is. The CFP essentially approved a 12-team playoff. Something obviously we have had an episode. Brian gave his his uh his uh diatribe out back last <laughs> winter. And believe it or not, there are some things that Brian discussed that it's like they listened. The 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 first one I think me and you talked today, the best one was the first. Essentially, six will be the highest six ranked conference champions and then the next six highest-ranked teams. Um, now, the big part of that is you have to be a conference champion to get a top-four seed. Yep. I think – I know we both love that. that that's the one I like. That's the one – I think everybody should love it because it's like you've actually got to do something on the field against a significantly good foe to earn something, not just be given a top seed.
1: Yep. I think that's the big thing is that, you know, these conferences exist for a reason. You're playing the extra game for a reason that's got to matter. And it hasn't mattered for a long time. Um, You know, I think gone are the days of that, you know, one or two loss Alabama team being in the top four because they're not going to be that team that played the extra game I mean you can you could apply the same logic to a Georgia or to an Ohio state yep. that lost to a Penn State or a Wisconsin. Um, you know if you don't play for and win your conference championship you're not going to be there so that that matters again now you you can still make the playoff but you will not be in that top four seed. Um, and that gives everybody a shot it because does. if you win your conference, you're in the playoff.
0: You very well could be potentially in the playoff. As long as you're I hate to say this, that year Pitt went six and six. I don't think they would have made it in that year. But if you are a if you're somewhere between a nine and a ten win team, you're and you're in the power five. You're likely going to be higher than some G five. I think this also sets a precedent that there is going to be a G five school in every year. Without a doubt, you start going back and looking through the times. Always at least one. Now the other one, this is the one that's kind of got me jacked. So one through four gets a bye. Those are four conference championships. The next eight teams will be playing games, and they will be at the higher seeds, either home field or a designated site determined by the higher seed. I love that because, A, it's – I'm just waiting for the day, A, typically team that plays in sunshine in 75 degrees has to go to a place like Madison or Ann Arbor or places like that where it's like, so what's the temperature going to be? Uh, negative six. Yep. Yep. And it's going to be a foot of snow on the ground.
1: I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to a uh, potential app state hosting one of those games.
0: Oh, app state hosting one of those games. Well, let's just throw it back here. Think of that Marshall game back in 2019 that we had to play. Or 2018, excuse me. 2018, When it was like 31, it was yucky, it was foggy. Those are some of the best games because it's like you can't out-scheme someone. It literally is going to be a physical game. And I think seeing some of these potential venues, you know, you take a look and you kind of think about last year, seeing some of those venues on that stage, right? Yep. Seeing those venues on that stage for a super meaningful game. Um, now i will shout out somebody, and we're we'll going to probably get into this at some point in the offseason. And people continue to say they do not think it changes recruiting. Shout out John Earl out there who me and him, he put together some data for me about how much top 300 talent goes to certain schools. People continue to say, well, it's not going to change. It's not going to change. How can that be so? How do you think it's not going to change if teams are getting to different levels of success? We saw that with the Hokies, right? The Hokies were a team that recruited in the 30s, got good, started recruiting in the 20s, and then the teams. We see this with so many. So every time I see someone, well, it's not going to change the way recruiting works. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. A couple of the other things, obviously – it's going to be shaping up. There'll be four quarterfinal bowl games. And then obviously the semis and then the finals. Um, Again, I think overall it's, it's to me, it makes everything for the sport significantly better because some people say, well, Oh, well, you know, some games just won't matter. And unless it's the playoff, I can't remember who said it. I Can't remember. I think it was Desmond Howard. He literally just said this. You're going to give 20 to 25 teams hope at the end of October. Yep. Hope. And hope's a dangerous thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, a, a lot of us are still coming off the uh, the, the hopium, man. We're still detoxing after, uh, you know, getting ready for it, and then we have, have one loss to open the year. But, yeah, so we talk about hope. We talk about, you know, you get into October – you still got something to play for and not just your conference championship, but you got a chance to play in the playoff and play in a big game, potentially host a big game in the playoff. That's going to boost recruiting. You can't say it won't boost recruiting. There's going to be trickle down to these schools.
0: It will be. If you're I'm, not
1: saying it, I'm not saying it's going to be significant. I don't say, I don't think all of a sudden if, you know, a, uh, what, what what's a, what's a school that's like kind of in that top twenty five?
0: Well, it used to be us, but if we're uh, if we're being <laughs> realistic here, um, I, I I don't know, man. I mean, Iowa
1: State. I, I don't yeah, think Iowa State. I don't think Iowa State's going to all of a sudden start recruiting like Alabama.
0: No, but I not. think
1: there 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 could be a boost with that national brand getting even more prominent.
0: Being on TV. And then seeing, the whole thing is, it's the eyes. It's the more eyes on you. Are there going to be some absolute destruction games? Yes, there is. But that's every week in college football. Yep. We've, we've been on the, we've been on the, and the Hokies in the last 10 years have been on the wrong side of some. But we've been on the right side of some just dog stomping competition. So that happens even when two teams are fairly decently matched up. So I don't want to hear this, oh, but what about the what about the ass-whippings? Well, ass-whippings happened all over. Well, here's the thing. Last year, the, the Bills and Patriots just shouldn't have played that game, Brian. The, the Bills were so much better than the Patriots, they shouldn't have played that game. And the Bills beat the shit out of them. But they played the game, right? You play yep. the game. You give someone a chance. Because who's not to say that the best player on your team doesn't get hurt in the first quarter, he doesn't come back? And even teams like Georgia, like Alabama, like Ohio State, there are certain players they lose on their teams. You know as well as I do, those teams are not the same. It's true. It's true, man. So overall, 12 team playoff. They're saying 2026. I'm going to be straight up with you. Um, talk with my cousin. I think ESPN is going to fast track it to 24.
1: Well, I think they see what the ratings are doing for the non-college football playoff games and they're like, "All right, well, if we have these games, they're going to they're they're going to draw more ratings than the current bowl games are that aren't affiliated with the the mm-hmm. college playoffs." So, let's add those in. Let's get a, a couple extra games in December that matter. Yes. Um Eight in these home environments. And I mean, hell, they can still do like a college game day for those if they wanted to.
0: Oh they I mean they they undoubtedly would. You'd undoubtedly would go to the biggest one. Heck, if you're in the honest truth is you might send different people to every location for that game. So yeah. it'd be interesting to see what they do. Oh yeah. all right, so before we get into the main topic tonight about knowing the enemy looking at BC, we are gonna take a quick pause from our commercial sponsors.
1: As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report.
0: Now back to the episode. All right, Brian. So now some of our favorite time. Of the week, and that's know the enemy. Let's take a look at BC and let's start on the defensive side of the ball. Let's take a look at Cam Arnold, the linebacker, number five, 6'1, 227 pounds. He was a three star out of the 2020 class from Orchard Lake, Michigan. What are we seeing on the Cam Arnold tape?
1: Well, Cam Arnold is a former safety, so he's got pretty good speed. Uh, this is his first year starting um, at linebacker. They kind of converted him. Uh, This offseason, they had him there in the spring, and he earned the starting role coming into the season. Um, What I'm seeing is he's really good at pursuit, which you would expect from a safety, right? Um, But he's still working on shedding blockers in the box, but he he does make plays. He flies around, and he's pretty good in coverage, uh, as you would expect from a safety that's kind of moved into the box there. Um, He does a good job of coverage when he's out there on a running back and isolated.
0: Where are we seeing him primary line up? Is he is he playing well, or is he playing a little bit more on the outside?
1: So he would be uh, in the in the four two five in the Bud Foster four two five. He would have been a backer.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Um, solid game up against. Um, excuse me up against Rutgers had five tackles, I and mean, last year in a primary backup role, you know, sixty plus tackles, three and a half for loss, and a sack. So obviously, a young guy who is finding his uh, or coming into his own quickly in this halfway defensive scheme. Now, I know another guy. You said that popped off at the tape while you were watching that game on uh, Saturday afternoon. By the way, Brian watched Rutgers BC on twice, twice,
1: twice.
0: You deserve like a <laughs> scotchers So you deserve a drink for that. But let's talk about um Benny De Palma um wh- what are you seeing out of Benny De Palma uh, he's
1: more of a traditional inside backer kind of that that prototypical Mike type player. Um, he does really well in the blocks in inside the box as a tackler um uh sure at getting guys to the ground uh, probably one of the better um in terms of just pure mechanics and, and tackling uh, that you'll see on that defense. Uh, they don't really use him as a blitzer, uh, and, and they don't really rely on him a lot in coverage. Um, and he's not on the field when there's an ov- obvious pass situation. So when they go nickel, when they sub, they're they're pulling him off the field pretty regularly.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm I'm seeing Bryce Steele's name a lot when they come to doing that. Um, obviously, De Palma, you know, a linebacker, you know, 6'1", about two twenty five, was a 2018 three star uh, commitment to. Uh, the Eagles, um, obviously, this is his COVID year. Yep. If I'm not mistaken, this is his COVID year. He should have been gone last year. Uh, solid season last year with 53 tackles, a few tackles for loss. So I think the one thing is he had nine tackles against Rutgers. We're going to see his name a lot regardless. My hope is it's further upfield than at the line of scrimmage. But um, when he's in there, I mean, that's kind of his job, right?
1: Yeah, he's kind of he's that guy that's kind of cleaning up in the middle there. Um, obviously, we hope that it's going to be more of that, you know, five, six yards downfield before that contact's made instead of at the line of scrimmage.
0: Absolutely. All right. So let's flip from the linebacking core and let's take a look at the defensive back room because they do have some pretty good players there. And let's start with a pretty highly touted guy that came to BC via transfer from Florida State. And that's Jaden Woodby, a six foot tall. 222 pound defensive back safety out of Fontana, California, at the perennial power St. John Bosco out there. Um, a top 50 player, a top 10 safety in the country, a four star when he first came out. Um, what are they using him as now? Obviously, you know, for him to get that athlete experience with a guy who coached in the NFL. Uh, potential chance to land in the NFL if his play uh warrants it this year.
1: Yeah, and he's kind of playing that that nickel whip type role. Um yeah, definitely it, as we've seen in the more modern versions of this defense, more of a nickel type type position, um with with heavy coverage responsibilities. Uh, they like to match him up against the tight end in the slot. Uh, and he does really good in that role. He's 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 good in coverage. Uh, especially in man coverage, uh, but he's also really good at coming down and filling against the rush, um, so he kind of cleans up that spill area there uh, pretty good as well. So he's definitely, I'd say, the best overall defender on that defense um, just because of how balanced he is and how much he can impact in the in the passing game and in
0: the in the run game. And I'm assuming, too, with his body type and athleticism, that lends itself to do a lot of things all over the field?
1: Yeah, yeah, they, they'll, they'll use him a lot of different ways. He'll blitz. Um, they don't blitz a ton, but when they do, they, he's he's one of the primary uh, guys that's blitzing. And like I said, they like him in coverage, uh, and they like him to kind of clean up the spill area and kind of press that edge.
0: All right, so remember the name Jaden Woodby. Uh, not a huge popping game against Rutgers, just five tackles, one for loss. So we'll see how that goes. Now let's take a look at probably what you told me is their best corner. Um, Elijah Jones, a six foot two cornerback, um, from Harlem, New York, played at Cardinal Hayes high school, a three star recruit in the 2018 class. Um, what's Elijah Jones showing you, Brian?
1: He's their best coverage corner. Um, kind of a good balance of, of, of all three kind of disciplines there. Um, good in man, uh, above average press, above average zone, um, they usually match him up consistently against the best receiver on the other team. They try to at least. Um, so we're probably gonna have to scheme, um, some guys away from him, uh, to, to get some additional, uh, spacing in the, in
0: the passing game. Um, you know, he, he had a pretty, he had a pick against Rutgers, took it back almost 40 yards. Um, Consistently, it looks like he's always been a good tackler, you know, 25 plus tackles every season he's played. All right. Does it worry you if Caleb can't go? Does it worry you that he would probably be matched up with probably Lofton, or do you think someone else?
1: It depends on what we decide to do with Connor Blummer. As okay. weird as that sounds,
0: yeah, that does sound weird. <laughs> That does
1: sound weird. I I think if if we don't have Caleb, I think mixing in Connor is probably the best plan B, just because size and athleticism. He's the closest approximation to Caleb, um. So he could probably do some of that and, and fill that role a little bit. I don't think he's as dynamic as Caleb is. I think Caleb right oh. now is probably our best overall, um, overall receiver um, on the on the roster right now. So but there's you know there there's some potential there to to get blumrick some extra touches um and it might be something that that happens it might not um i i, I do hope to see blumrick out there in on the field more than we saw him this past week cuz i feel like he does create some mismatch problems
0: well let's let's just this is kind of flipping hokies that sideline pass where he actually made the catch he was out of bounds but that catch in itself was impressive and it's one Well, of he would things have been
1: inbounds if the safety didn't come and knock him oh, out. Oh yeah, the hands.
0: safety pushed him. I mean, yeah. so I mean, if nothing else, he's a big body just and he got some speed to send him downfield. Can I ask this though? I and mean, we talked about it earlier, don't you to kind of explain if they decide to match him up on Lofton, obviously he's got a significant size, weight advantage on Dwayne Lofton, what can we do? to get Dwayne free because we did see Dwayne with some wiggle with a couple good catches last week.
1: Yeah. I think we'd probably move him in motion a little bit more to try to get some spacing uh, at the snap. Um, I think you try to scheme him open some more. Um, You know, we saw, we saw a play last week where we had two posts to one side Um, off a play action, then we ran a a crosser from the other side underneath that, had to clear out, play action worked on the, uh, like, sucking the linebackers in. Stuff like that might give him a little bit more room to operate. Um, You know, we might see some other other techniques to get him open. Like I said, I think the the biggest thing is going to be getting him in motion where they're not
0: able to get in his face at the snap. All right, good to know. All right, let's talk about last player. Let's look at the defensive line. And Donovan is Araku I did not go to the pronunciation guide on that one. Let me see if I change my <laughs> no, I can't. Um, either way. Isaraku
1: is-, is my guess. Is- is- Zeruaku. All right. I,
0: I didn't either hear it way-
1: enough on the PA during the game to, to tell you exactly <laughs> what it is.
0: All right. Well, either way, he's number six. Keep an eye on him. Huge game. Against Rutgers, nine solo tackles, nine—excuse me, eight solo tackles. Two tackles were lost. A sack. He forced two fumbles. He was everywhere. He's six He's two thirty six. So definitely a little undersized defensive end. Williamstown, New Jersey, um, and a freshman back yeah. at, or a or a, a freshman last year, sophomore this year. So a relatively young player when he was a three star. um, What's it say? What's this what's the tape and what you see with him versus Rutgers?
1: Um, he pops out on tape. He kind of reminds me of Barno Light. Um okay. just looking at him. Uh they use him a lot in the two point stance coming off the edge, just like we did in, in 2021 with Barno. He has good speed coming off the edge. He disrupts. Um he has shocking amount of strength given his size um and youth at this point. Um, and he uses that strength to, the, to his advantage. So probably a little bit stronger against the rush. Um, but it's still a guy that you could potentially run at uh, in order to to negate some of that that speed
0: rush off the edge. All right. And the way we, again, looked running the ball, it might be the way to go. You mentioned kind of various pieces throughout talking about each of these players. Let's just get high level on their scheme.
1: Yeah, I know I talked about it. It's a four-two-five. It's very, very familiar uh, system in terms of the scheme. Um, but they're less aggressive with blitzing. It's more akin to the J-Ham uh, model than it would be the Bud Foster model. Um, okay. they, they don't blitz a ton. Uh, they rely on their pursuit in the run game and getting pressure with four in the pass game. Um, so they're comfortable setting back and they're, they're, they're comfortable playing various coverages, um, and, and they don't bring
0: a ton of pressure. All right, so I guess that a lot goes into Halfley being an NFL guy with his roots, right? Because you don't see as many aggressive schemes in the NFL. It's a lot more rush for play zone or various schemes, some zone, some man. Yep. Um, How do you think we can attack this? Um, I mean,
1: the big thing is that kind of force them to over pursue, um, fool them with misdirection. Um, that, that would be the primary way I would attack them is, uh, is try to get them pursuing one way and attack them the other. Um, they, they do push hard, um, when they're attacking the, in the run game and in the short passing game. Okay. Uh, they, they will get to the spot. So if we can get their eyes tricked, I think that's the best way to go about it.
0: All right. Well, let's flip over to the offense, take a look at that. And, obviously, we're going to talk about Phil Dracovic first. The six foot five, now 214 pounds, took a little weight off of it uh, from last year. If you remember him, Gibsonia, outskirts of Pittsburgh, four-star in the 2018 class, was a top-five quarterback, top 100 player, originally went to Notre Dame, came to – uh BC um in the twenty twenty portal. He is currently one and one versus the Hokies in his career. And is there anything different popping this year compared to when you had a review for him a couple years ago? Because obviously we didn't play him last year. Or well, we did play him last year. He just had there were, he was a game time decision. Yeah,
1: yeah. We were we were preparing for a couple different options um last year. So we didn't necessarily focus as heavily on Jerkovic, just because he was somebody that we were familiar with from, from previous uh, season. Um, I'd say the big thing is the weight loss. Uh, he's, he's still a big guy, but he's got enough wiggle and speed to break the pocket when necessary. Um, you know, we, We've seen it before. He's got a big and mostly accurate arm. He can get the ball downfield. He can throw on the run pretty well. Um, sometimes throws the ball a little too flat on those intermediate routes. Um, So we got opportunities there to pick them off. They're a little bit harder to catch. So we might be able to, um, you know, as long as our corners have good angles, there might be some that are hard, hard to catch there. Um, But the big thing is that he does take risk with his body by staying in the pocket too long and taking unnecessary hits when he's scrambling. So that's going to be the opportunity to, you know, fluster him, get him off his game. Rutgers did a good job in that, in that game. Uh, as it went on getting after Djokovic and kind of taking them a little bit out of his game because, you know, they were somewhat dealing early on in that game, uh, especially the connection between him and the you know, guy we're going to talk about in a couple minutes. And as things wore on, Rutgers kind of started hitting him and it, it it wasn't going quite the way they wanted to anymore. So, that's going to be I think the big biggest thing that we can do to attack him. He will make a mistake with the football when he tries to do too much. So we got to do better than we did this past uh Friday night and we'll, when those balls are hitting our uh
0: DBs in the hands, we got to bring that in. If I was going to ask um about that cuz you know, he he threw three touchdowns, he threw almost 300 yards, under 60% completion percentage, but he threw the two picks. Were they because he got hit? Forcing, or what did it look like with the two picks when you watched the tape?
1: Uh, it was a mix of everything. Um, okay. the, the, the first one um, looked like he was more just rushed the ball out, was, wasn't where it needed to be. Um, the uh, uh, One of the, I think it was either a backer or a uh, nickel was playing for Rutgers, was playing kind of that deep flat, and he kind of saw, saw where Phil was going with and sank back and picked it off. Um, the second was more of a, you know, pocket was collapsing type
0: deal. All right. So one of those, essentially something we saw a couple times, bad decisions being made. Let's yep. hope that uh, he makes more versus the Hokies. Now let's be realistic here. It is Boston college. So they always seem to run the ball. And um, with uh, Pat Garo, um, you know, what's he, uh, what's he looking like this year? You know, the, eight, two 208 from Levittown, PA, um, a top 10 player, NPA in 2019, a three-star. Um, what's he looking like this year?
1: Um, yeah, the first game, it's kind of hard to tell. He he looks like he has a little bit more juice in his legs. Uh, he did lose a little bit of weight uh, in the offseason, just like Djurkovic did. Um, it, it looks like his ability to bounce out and get to the edge is a little bit better uh, than it was in years past. Um, but he's still a patient runner and mostly between the tackles. Uh, no, not really elite speed, um, especially he's not going to break one a big one if he gets to the second level, um, unless there's kind of clear sailing ahead of him. Um, and he's not really used a ton in the passing game. That's definitely not his strength, but they will occasionally throw the ball to him here or there when they need to. Um, but he had probably one of his worst games against Rutgers, and It was one that actually started pretty well. Most of the yards that he
0: got was in the first quarter and a half. Oh, wow. I mean, he only had 25. He was under two a carry against Rutgers. And, I mean, this is a guy who last year, you know, 1,000 yards rushing, over five a carry, you know, seven touchdowns. Obviously, he's not a big pass catcher because he kind of is what he is. But um, I think we're going to get into – why potentially he is struggling a little bit more this year. But let's talk about the one guy on offense that cannot let – we cannot let him beat us, and that's Zay Flowers. Um, You know, Zay Flowers every year just seems like he's there catching balls, making plays, you know, 22 touchdowns down his four-year career there. Uh, he was a three-star. He is a Florida kid from down in Fort Lauderdale in 2019. Um, and I mean 117 yards with those two touchdowns on Saturday, man. He 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 had a game that's pretty big. Yeah,
1: he's a dangerous deep threat. He's also that home run hitter um on that short stuff. So he has a has a big yards after the catch game, along with being a, a deep threat that can that can burn you deep downfield. So got to make sure we're not allowing home runs to him don't let him beat you with one play he also plays the ball well on on back shoulder throws which we saw hurt us against ODU a couple times so we got to be cognizant of that when he's in those deep routes he's going to come back try to make a play on the ball if it's underthrown um and does a really good job with that he had one t- the first touchdown that he caught was kind of an incredible um kind of comeback back shoulder where you know i don't know how he got how the ball got in there but it did and he was able to make the play on it and he's also a big time threat in their return game so uh we got to do b- good on special teams containing him there as well
0: yeah so you know again we have that one guy on the outside that can be that can beat us and you know we just we cannot let it happen because you know in their first couple games this year it's really been it was Zay and then the next guy we're going to talk about you know, no one else had any more than two catches against Rutgers other than Zay Flowers and George Takis, the number eighty tight end, six foot six, two hundred and forty-seven pound out of Naples. Um, four star when he came out in twenty eighteen, again went to the Irish, then transferred to BC. I feel like BC has their uh portal school already set up when it doesn't work out there. Um, and you know, just this week. 7 catches 84 yards. I feel like between Flowers and Tacketts we're looking at the same two guys again just like we did at ODU.
1: Yeah, I feel like uh Boston College is becoming like the relegation school for the Irish.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Any anybody that's not consistently starting or transfers out of out of uh, Notre Dame is heading over to the to the other Catholic school there in Boston. Um but I mean he's had uh you know back-to-back games of, we've now had big athletic tight ends that we're dealing with. Um, And and Tack had a good game uh, against uh, Rutgers. Um, They like to use him up the seam on kind of the shallow crossers and those quick outs. Um, And where he's going to hurt us probably the most is up the seam. So that's the one we got to be cognizant of. Um, And he's primarily used as the secondary read within the offense. Um, He's not, not the primary very often we'll hit him, hit him on a couple routes where he's the first look, but usually he's the secondary read um, within the, uh, the game plan.
0: Um, what about blocking? Do we need to worry about him on the line? He does have good size obviously, or is it not in his game?
1: He blocks. Well, it's not his strong suit,
0: but it, it's not a liability either. All right. So there they are. And now Brian, let's, talk about where their biggest issue is, and is something that I think probably shocked you a little bit as you were looking at it, and that is the offensive line. I mean, obviously, I mean, this week running the ball, I mean, they barely broke 40 yards. They had a total of – actually, they didn't even break 30 yards, 29 yards on 28 carries. Not good at all. What is it, what is it showing – what is that line yeah. showing now?
1: Yeah, and some of that's negative yardage on some sacks, but it, it still was a pretty garbage performance by the offensive line and the running game as a whole. Um, this is not offensive line you this year, guys. Um, we're not looking at your typical Boston College offensive line. Um, they are pretty much all young and inexperienced uh, after the ACL injury to Christian Mahogany um, this offseason. Um that really put them behind the eight ball. They had one returning season veteran and then you lose him too. Um right now they're looking like um in terms of guys with experience, Ozzy Trapillo, uh who's class of 2020, he started a couple games as a four star prospect out of high school. He's really the best um linchpin they have in terms of I think and I think he's had two starts um in his career before before Rutgers. So uh the run blocking uh wasn't bad, but it was so inconsistent that they couldn't really consistently get to the second level. And they just BC felt like they needed to abandon that um because it, it just wasn't getting the getting them ahead of the sticks. Um and when they went to pass pro, it was even worse. Uh when they were early in the game when it, when things were a little more balanced, uh Dracovic had some time. Uh once they kind of went full full pass and uh, Rutgers was pinning their ears back. Dracovic was getting crushed.
0: All right. So, obviously, issues there. And obviously, they obviously had a change up in scheme this year um, because uh, I can remember Frank Signetti left them, went over to pit. And now, you know, they're looking at John McNulty, who John McNulty's last stop was a tight end coach over at. Uh, Notre Dame so what are you seeing does it does it make sense that he has a he was a tight end coach based on what you're seeing
1: uh yeah they they run multiple a lot of 11 and 12 personnel pretty heavy 12 uh to start the game it went more 11 as as things went on um about a 60 40 pass to run is what they would like to be at um obviously Rutgers kind of took them out of their game plan um, by the middle of the second quarter in that game, and, and it was very much a a, a one-dimensional offense, um, which if we can do that, I think that's probably our best case, essentially make them one-dimensional and make sure Zay Flowers doesn't beat us with one play. Um, but, yeah, the offensive line is definitely their weakness, and it's going to hinder the the heights that they could potentially reach because they're not going to be effective enough consistently in the run game And that's going to mean that Dracovic's going to be dropping back 35-plus times a game, trying to win it with his arm, and hopefully getting getting enough touches by, Zay Flowers where they can make something happen.
0: All right. Um, Let me ask this concerning, especially at offensive line. If our front seven comes out and plays the way they did against ODU, is that good, or do we need to be at a higher level?
1: I think we need to be at a slightly higher level, and I'll say that. We need to finish plays better. Um, We talked about it earlier. Uh, whether it's a tackle for loss, whether it's a sack, we need to get home, and we need to make sure when we get home that we finish the tackle.
0: All right, good deal. So that's know the enemy, both offensive and defensive. Taking a look at some players and some of their schemes. Let's flip it over to the Hokie Keys. Told Brian this morning when we talked, or this afternoon when we talked. Brian, I didn't have to change much up from last week what we were discussing, but it's written a little bit differently this time. So obviously. The one I had up last week was turnovers. And we've already talked about it a few times tonight. Obviously, we were negative three in that department. Then the turnovers led to roughly 17 points of offense for or, or, or production for ODU. Um, again, we talked about the locations, we've talked about where they were. But when you're negative three, you should never expect to win a game. Ever.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it puts you behind the eight ball and, and you couple that with, uh, you know, something we're going to talk about later and it's just, it, it's so hard to overcome no matter the level of competition that you're playing. Um, But, I mean, turnovers is something that we're going to have to limit. Um, yeah. You know, we, we can't have, we especially can't have them on special teams. That that should be, you know, you snap it, you kick it, if, if yes. you miss it, whatever. But we, we, we shouldn't be giving the ball over and we shouldn't be giving up points on special teams we should never see that so absolutely that's number one number two you know we when we talked about grant wells we we talked about making some smart throws in 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 the decisions so yeah two of them were grossly bad decisions by grant wells specifically by grant wells um you know if he if he cuts down on that you know, I'll I'll take the ones where there's a miscommunication. I'll take the ones when you're just trying to make a play. Yeah. I I can't take ones where you see press man and you still throw an out on the inside shoulder. I can't take the ones where, you know, we need fifteen yards for a first down and you're throwing a three yard check down to a guy with a linebacker on his back. Cut those down, cut those out, we can live to find another down.
0: Yeah, so for the Hokies, it's clean up. Now, I will say this. BC is not exactly clean. I mean, they had three turnovers versus Rutgers, the two picks, Vajacovics, and another fumble. And this was a team, even with three turnovers, had a lead under three minutes to go. Now, obviously, with Rutgers was without their starting quarterback and without their primary weapon in their tight end. So they were missing a few things, but still, a team that turned the ball over a lot, including they had 14 points off turnovers, including one that's literally at the doorstep for Rutgers. So I see that if we can, if we can, it's one of those, like, who cleans up their turnover act faster? The Hokies or Boston College could win this game. And I know we've been talking about it all night. The other key is penalties. We we, we just don't expect to be perfect. But if, if if penalties, if we don't clean up penalties by 45 yards, I don't think there's any way we can win this game.
1: Well, if you look at just the procedural penalties alone, that was about 50 yards um, against yeah. um, ODU. So if we clean up just the procedural stuff, which is the easiest thing to clean up, you know, you're you're kind of hitting that benchmark out the gate. If you do that and cut the turnovers at least in half, at least down to you know one or two um then, then then there's a chance that we can make some some magic happen there um you know you, you said it and we've kind of talked about it uh odu you know we we, we didn't play well you know when you You're look pressed. at what beat we, we, we when we look at what bc did they didn't play well against rutgers and uh, and you said it oh you mean uh, say yeah go for <laughs> you it you say what
0: bc did first well bc shit the bed against rutgers we let a cow shit in our bed and then we decided to jump in it. We Ours just wasn't one little screw up. Ours was a bunch of screw ups. And literally, and not only did we let it happen, we just continued to wallow in it over and over again. That was the issue. It wasn't necessarily mistakes are made, it's football. Mistakes are going to be made. It's like they were happening over and over and over. And I know Prime mentioned it. And, and the one thing about while. Well, Give him big shout-out. Price said it the first minute, and this is where I think the difference is. First minute of his presser after the game, the players were pressing. The players were pressing. I have to do a better job of not making them press. Within the first minute, he took the accountability. And I think for a lot of people, for the last five years, that wasn't the case. What was it always, Brian? It was always that E word. Execution. It was always execution. And Brian eventually got to the point where he said, "Well, oh, motherfucker, you're the one coaching them. You need to teach them to execute better. And you need to say <laughs> that you need to teach them to execute better. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, at
1: some at some point, it all it all comes back to you. Either Either you're not preparing them, you're not coaching them well enough to be prepared, or you're recruiting the wrong type of players you need for them to be prepared. So it's at some point it's coming back to you. Um, you know, w- w- we can make excuses for a, a season here or a season there of, okay, we just don't have the right right guys or we're, we're not getting it done. When you start seeing a pattern, it, that's it when ch- that's when it's got to go. So that that yeah, that's that's the difference. And you know, I, I'm glad that we have some accountability. Um, yeah. But at some point, obviously, on, in this regime, accountability is not going to get you where you want to be either eventually you got to fix those things go out there and get it done and get
0: it done all right so speaking of getting it done i think the third key and this is one that was actually fun to look at and think about was the rushing offense we had even with a poorly blocked game or a slightly above average block game on the running versus that bc run defense we've already mentioned it don't let the stats fool you when there is a 54 yard scoop and score Everybody remember this, they take it off of the rushing totals. Realistically, the Hokies went over 200 yards. Realistically, 5.3 a carry. I'm looking at the Rutgers game. You saw it, Brian. I'm looking at the data. Rutgers went 42 for 212. All three of their touchdowns came on the ground. Give me a reason why is that, Brian. Why did Rutgers, who, who isn't the most talented team, basically get five a carry? on BC
1: Uh, they're a little soft in the middle I I think we have some opportunities between the tackles um, to to hurt them Um, they do have some good players out on the edge in the spill area and they're going to try to spill the rush out to those areas and let those guys clean up but they are a little softer in the middle and I think that's where we can take an advantage Um, you know you got a safety playing linebacker still learning to get off blocks Um, I think I think that's where we can kind of make some hay and uh, if, if if they don't clean it up, I think that's our opportunity.
0: Yep. Yeah. And this isn't just like a one-time thing because BC was not good last year. They were 92nd at like 178 a game. So this is clearly an ongoing issue for Halfley and his coaching staff with the potential of the scheme change. Um, you know, even though it's a four two five, something more traditional college not playing at the college way, which walking safeties up to the line filling gaps, you're going to without having the correct defensive personnel, you're going to give up some yards. So, you know, it'll be really interesting to see um, you know, what team is able to can, you know, turn it all around. And and that's where we land here at our game predictions. And, you know, as, you know, you know, three weeks ago, I'm sitting here, we're saying nine and three. We're saying floor of five and seven. And right now, some of the games I foresaw as potential wins, I'm recalculating and I can't do it until I see change. So, unfortunately, for me, I've got to take BC and I got to take them. And it's going to be a dogfight. I got to go 28 24. Um, You know, Brian's heading up to Blacksburg on Saturday. I wish I could. I've got some things going on. Um, But what do you think, Brian? Are you going to be driving back down 81 Saturday night happy or?
1: Um, It might be a long drive back, Um, and I'm kind of right there with you, and I'm actually with you in a little bit more dramatic fashion. Um, I've got us coming up one point short, 28-27 BC. I need to see it. I need to see us improve. I need to see with improvement, does that mean that the offense looks a little better, uh, more cohesive, uh, in terms of putting points on the board? And until I see that, it's hard to – uh, trust that that, that we're going to see significant difference i think there's going to be improvement i don't don't get me wrong i think we're going to see a good amount of improvement week one to week two i don't think we're going to be in that i don't i don't think we're going to be t- uh, plus 10 uh in penalties i don't think we're going to be at, at five turnovers but i don't know if we're going to do enough cleaning up relative to what bc does to get it done all right so brian's at
0: 28 27. I'm at 28-24, both going BC. Hope we're sitting here seven days from now saying we're completely wrong. Yeah, we were wrong
1: last week. I'd love to be wrong again this week.
0: Love it. Love it. All right, let's go real quick do big screeners, Brian. Um, I'll leave with this one as well. I am hoping after the Hokies make me, prove me wrong, I'm going to probably be watching very closely the BYU-Baylor game, obviously future Big 12. Um, that's gonna be out at BYU. Great atmosphere out there. I expect it to be a brawl. Baylor is laying three and or getting three and a half points on the road. I think this game's gonna be tight anyway. So when the team I shade and feel a little bit better about is getting points, I'm gonna take Baylor and three and a half. Both teams are ranked Brown, by the way, just so you wanna know. Um I know you will be in Blacksburg and uh, what game are you going to be trying to check out at Sharkies, PK's, Tots, wherever you may land once you're down in the home lane?
1: Yeah. I'm going to actually take a look at that Tennessee pit game. I think there's some interest there on both sides. We obviously got, you know, Hendon quarterbacking the, uh, the Tennessee squad there while well, we got, you know, pit is a game that we're going to look towards later in the year. Um, couple, couple, uh, seven, five, seven products on that pit team. So, you know, you got, you got some interest there as well. So, um, when I look at that, I, I feel like this is based on what I saw week one, this is Tennessee right now. Uh, th- you know, they, they, they've got a seven point I'm, I'm going to take, I'm going to lay the seven. I'm taking Tennessee. All
0: right. He is taking Tennessee with a seven. I'd be with you on that. Um, just because of what we saw from Pitt's defense. And and if you can say, well, it's the first game of the season, like, yeah, but they had a game in front of them they needed to get up. For. And essentially their offense, and partially West Virginia saved them, it'll be interesting to see that game. All right, Brian, one more thing. It's not on the rundown, but I got to let you rant. Preseason rankings.
1: Fuck them it's the most ludicrous thing ever invented, especially in a situation where all the future rankings are judged against the original rankings. And that's my biggest problem is that, you know, I I saw, I forget who it was, but you know, I I retweeted it. Someone was on the timeline. Yeah. We We got, we got a, we got a blue check on the timeline trying to talk against the 12 team playoff because Oregon got their shit kicked in. well, They also lost their head coach last year, and now we're figuring out, okay, this Oregon team is an 11-ranked team as it currently stands. We learned that they're not an 11th ranked team. We didn't learn that, oh, an 11 team got their shit kicked in, so an 11-ranked at the end of the season is going to be the same fucking thing. No, it's not going to be the same thing because we will have played games at that point, and whoever that 11 seed is will have a more – deserving reason to be a fucking 11 seed than Oregon.
0: <laughs> this is so much fun every year to get you to go on the preseason rankings rant because there's always somebody doing something, talking about how, especially late in the year, you really want to get Brian, come back if jo- if if Oregon's like four and eight and somebody's looking at, well, you know, Georgia's beat a few top 10 teams, top 15 teams, but be like,
1: was it week one? Was it, well,
0: that shouldn't count was it was
1: it even in september well,
0: uh and, and and you've always said rankings should be there you know it's one reason i don't like mind to power
1: on. rankings i have a problem with the official top 25 yeah. rankings
0: yep yeah. the official let
1: ESPn four. do their power rankings let whoever wants to do do power rankings based on you know preseason early season don't make it an official top 25 because again it 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 throws off the calculations the whole rest of the season.
0: Brian would be okay if you went after 3 or 4 games. At least you have a body of work then, right? Yeah. You're 3 and 0. You're 3 and 0 and you beat three really crappy teams. You're 3 and 0 and you beat two really good teams and one above average team. Your 3 and 0 is not the same as their 3 and 0.
1: Yeah, and give, I, give, give me rankings the first Monday of October.
0: There you go. That's why that's one reason you probably, one thing you've always liked about the playoff is they go deep into the season before they turn them off. They yep. go seven weeks in? Seven weeks, seven
1: weeks in. And, and and at least then, you know, the, the problem with the committee is that when it all comes down to it, they're going to put in a blue blood that brings in the most money over another team. and it's Most wild. of the time. Most of the time. But – in terms of, of how we get there, at least the, the process is better
0: than the preseason shit. Well, my comment on preseason rankings, they're about as good as an ejector seat in a helicopter. Think about that one as you uh, get ready to go to bed tonight, y'all. Brian, anything breaking? I'm not seeing anything, but right, Nothing breaking. Um... The depth chart came out. You're feeling a lot better seeing Kalia's feeling better about the wide receiver room. Um,
1: yeah, we, we got a couple more young young receivers making that uh, that depth chart. We got Jalen Jones, thankfully seems to be uh, back up to speed where they're putting him on the depth chart. Christian I saw Moss. Christian Moss on there as well. Um, those two are going to be big in terms of depth at the receiver position. We also saw Caleb on there, whether he's thrown on as a courtesy um, or whether he's going to be good to go for the game, obviously it's probably too early to tell there. But hopefully he's good to go against BC. Uh, and then we also saw, obviously, you know, Breon Murray back in there, um, so coming off the suspension. And Tisdale. Um, we found out more about that. Yeah, uh, apparently eligibility situation. So he's uh weird. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think we're going to see him this week. Uh, he's apparently week to week as they resolve that eligibility issue. Uh, but at least, you know, we know what it is now. We know it's he's not in the doghouse for nope. anything uh, off the field. He's not um, – his play hasn't fallen off to a point where, <laughs> you know, he can't help us. So that those, those are two things that are, I think, positives to, to, to take away from that.
0: Very nice. All right. So now that we got the couple breaking things I wrote down here, that's on me. Um, we are going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website, BoundaryCornerBT.com, to listen to all of our episodes while you're there. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe on our YouTube account and your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. Please leave reviews. We prefer five stars. We will take any star with your critiques please as always we let our buddy jason long he plays us in he plays us out every week check him out on his new website jasonlongmusic.com where it will link you to all of his music on apple spotify and his youtube and facebook pages uh jason no um no events this weekend interesting interesting so maybe you can give Jason a call if you feel like you can't make it back to Richmond.
1: <laughs> 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 hey, Jason, can I crash here? You're let's like, do can it. I, can I let's do it. In
0: We'll see. But as anyways, we thank you for listening. As always, let's go.
1: Hokies.